This episode of Absolutely Not is brought to you in part by Track and Assess. Bullying, discrimination, harassment, and racism is never okay, especially in the workplace. The Track and Assess mobile app allows you to store your thoughts, images, and documents in a secure private place, all while keeping tabs on your mental health. Download the app today and begin tracking everything. Remember, human resources is not your friend. Log it, report it, and hold them accountable. Learn more at trackassess.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Absolutely Not. I am your host, Katrina Stroll, and I am dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. Some of that vocabulary includes the words discrimination, harm, and boundary. These words and their definitions can be found on my resources page on my website. You can go there to find also mental health experts around the subject of boundaries. But today we're going to be talking about inshallah. Excuse me if I mispronounced that. But that special word is brought to you today by my special guest, Rahime Ram, Ram A. Zani. As a multi-ethnic, visible visibly Muslim American woman in the United States, she fosters empathy and justice between communities which often misunderstand each other for cultural reasons, while simultaneously bringing light to the considerations of power at play in those relation, relational dynamics. Rahime holds a master's degree in intercultural communication from San Jose State University and a certificate in advanced global leadership from Lucas College of, of Business's Global Leadership Advancement Center. In 2016, she served as a fellowship, as a fellow at the Summer Institute of Intercultural Communication and since then has worked at multiple DEI centered consulting firms and nonprofits in a program management and training capacity. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Katrina. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, it is wonderful for you to be here, especially bringing a brand new word to our vocabulary. We talk about vocabulary a lot on here. Could you kind of describe what inshallah means? Yeah, absolutely. So inshallah is a Arabic like Islamic word, just for context that like not all Muslims are Arab, not all Arabs are Muslim, but the Arabic language is very much intertwined with the religion of Islam. Uh, that means generally in English, like God willing. So Muslims will say it. Um, there are many different ways Muslims will say some, there are many jokes about like, oh, people to say inshallah, like God willing to say no, it's like a backhanded way of saying no. Uh, for myself, I do say it in the sense of I will try to do this thing, to come to this event, but ultimately I am not the only entity that makes the decision that this will be. And, you know, if God or the higher power or the universe, or um, I heard a really cool, like, I forget the word, but like whatever energy you may believe many spiritualities have some sort of sense of something similar to what Muslims and Christians and Jews might consider God. Um, you know, if the universe decides that this is to be, then it will be, but ultimately I don't have like all of the power. So it's like a deep concept. Um, and for me, it's one of the Islamic like words and vocabulary that is very much a part of my everyday speech. Mm, I love it. It's another word I can add to the cube, but it also helps me to understand how you're setting boundaries on a daily basis. Are you mm -hmm. usually saying absolutely not? Or are you usually saying inshallah? As of right now, I, in, in non-Muslim say, so obviously with Muslims, like this is our vocabulary and that's how it is. Uh, but the idea of code switching away at this point, I am still very much in the habit of kind of swallowing the word. I may use like, hopefully this will work out. Hopefully this is, and in my mind, I'm like, this is a book, like a replacement for inshallah in my mind. That's my intention. Um, but 
it's something I definitely want to work towards in the future inshallah <laughs> oh my gosh um I'm getting a little teary-eyed at um at the word not even at the word code switching but the word swallowing um yeah yeah huh? because that that's what it is I can literally feel myself in situations I want to say like yeah girl do that or I'm gonna go to the store real quick or something to that yeah, yeah, effect yeah. and I pause swallow it and spit out something else um do you ever feel yourself choking as you're swallowing kind of maybe not like physically mm -hmm. but yeah I do yeah like oh I wonder if I'm coming off like I don't know what I'm saying or like I'm cutting myself off and you know if that comes off weird and as I've mentioned to you we will definitely get into it at some point today about you know I'm a recovering people pleaser so there's a lot of concern about like oh my god what will people think of me if I look weird so yeah no okay and um, even these words that we're using we're using the word swallowing and choking and digesting and just kind of being able to spit out the more mm. um paddle palatable um phrases that mm. don't suit us at all um when or you talked about people pleasing what else is kind of forcing you to be more palatable in these spaces so so story time um so I was nine years old when September 11th happened. I know that's dating me and I choose not to care about that. Um, but I had, I put on hijab, which is this like head covering that you see me wearing that some Muslim women wear. Um, and I put it on like for the start of the school year, I was in fifth grade since September 11th is like towards the beginning of the school year, I must've been wearing it for maybe three weeks, maybe. And then September 11th happened. And, um, you know, my, my father, so my, as I mentioned in my bio, which you've read, I'm multi-ethnic. My father is an Iranian immigrant. My mother is white of mixed European ancestry an older generation immigrant, if you will. Um, and so my father, similar to many uh, immigrants for their children have a lot of fear for their safety and being othered and especially around September 11th like um, you know he faced a lot of um, backlash and violence and you know threats on his safety and job repercussions for his identity as an Iranian immigrant so he had a lot of concerns for his little nine-year-old daughter walking around in a target basically um, and so I uh, didn't start wearing hijab until the next year in middle school. But um, then coming, so I was not raised in the Muslim community. I was I was in the Muslim community to learn about hijab. I put hijab on, it was my choice. Um, and then I was taken out of the Muslim community and then I forgot everything. So. Stand, even though I was still wearing hijab all through like middle school and high school, but I didn't know anything. Um, so having, and then also many people who have immigrant backgrounds as well will probably resonate with this, may resonate with this, um, that having immigrant parents tends to give their children this idea of like wanting to fit in because of how much junk immigrants have to deal with. Um, from their accents, many will not name their children a name related to their heritage. Um, there's so many different examples. And so having this parent teaching me this kind of like put your head down, don't stand up, like don't draw attention to yourself. You already draw so much attention to yourself and that attention is negative. That attention is dangerous uh, for your safety. Um, and then, you know, I, be, I did become a practicing Muslim in college, alhamdulillah, which is another Islamic Arabic word, <laughs> maybe for next time, um, but it just means like, it's like, thank God, it's like saying thank God. Um, and um, by then in college, I was, most of my peers, my perception was that they uh, did not like uh, like formal kind of traditional religions 
saw them as very bigoted, saw them as very like dogmatic and backwards. And again, this whole time I'm still wearing a physical headscarf and it's very visible. Like there's no way to hide it. If anyone interacts with me, like they're talking to me, I find like it must be so uncomfortable to like try and pretend that this thing isn't on my head if you interact with me and that makes you uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, so um, I just felt like so again, people please recover, people pleaser, not recovering at that point. I didn't even realize I was a people pleaser at that point. People pleaser, immigrant parent, and like this feeling of like, oh, I'm my religion is already so much in everyone's face. I should just like tamp down as much as possible on anything related to my religion, to even to the point like in college when so I don't I don't want to get too too much into like Islam 101. There are many amazing resources for that, which I can help with like later, Katrina, if you're open anyway, but that, that's not the point of this conversation, but just a tiny, tiny bit for context is that Muslims pray five times a day, observant Muslims will pray five times a day, uh, once in the morning, two in the afternoon, uh, and then two in like the evening and nighttime, right? So it's like spread throughout the day. Uh, and so during the afternoon, when the afternoon prayers come up, um, you know, that's usually like when a college student is in college, like, you know, has their classes. And so I remember like trying to make some excuse for my classmates that I was working with a project on to like not tell them that I was going to go do my prayers. It was like, oh, I'm going to like, oh, I'm going to just go do this thing. Okay, bye. And not mention it, like feeling like how are they going to react and, you know, mm -hmm. and just get shifting into like telling people for the first time, oh, I'm going to go do my prayers and like not looking to see how do they react like, nope. I'm not going to care. I'm just going to go do them. Right. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a process. And then of course, learning that I'm was a people pleaser a couple of years ago, which is so much a big thing that attracted me to absolutely not. I mean, obviously I've been following you on LinkedIn. I've seen absolutely not for a long, long time and just loving everything about boundary setting uh, for all of these different reasons. But yeah, so inshallah for me is like the kind of like summary of like, how comfortable do I feel being Muslim out loud in non-Muslim environments? And then of course, putting in the layer, if you're talking in a workplace environment, like this is how I pay my bills. Do I really want to like put on my identity so much that I might risk being so different from others when it, I am already so visibly different from others? Um, you know, and I have to ask for prayer accommodations or I have to ask, I don't need to say, inshallah anyway so yeah it's it's complicated it's so very complicated and i think that's why i um i love the space of boundaries because no matter what you're setting a boundary for you talked about hey i need to go um do these prayers really quick i'll be right back i'm still going to contribute to the team the fuck i really don't care what you yeah. you think about it you're still setting a boundary as a human being one of the phrases that you said that makes me want to, I, I can't describe the emotion I'm feeling right now, but I feel nauseous. <laughs> um, you I'm said, sorry. no, that, this is mine. But um, you said out loud, wearing my identity out loud. As you said several times, your headscarf is very visible. My skin color is very visible. Um, I can cold switch all I want, or I can mm. tone my personality down mm. all I mm. want. I can straighten my hair. But some things about me are still very visible. So for the people out there whose differences are invisible, mm. what would you say? Or one of the things I'm trying to wrap around is the people yeah. with invisible invisible differences, mm. them code switching or them um, not asking for those accommodations are kind of causing us with visible differences harm. Um, how do you, or I guess what I'm trying to ask is, have you seen that happen in a workplace before where people were also a part of the community that you're a part of, mm. but they were able to wrap it or make it very invisible? Mm. So in the different, so Alhamdulillah, I have worked at very uh, inclusive organizations up until now. I work in like diversity, equity, inclusion, and I 
work in um, or related fields. Um, and so thankfully I haven't had, like there hasn't been as much of a push to hide identity. And honestly, I feel like that is why I'm at the point of like healing this, like people pleasing, like stuffing your identity, like it's taking a long time. And, and it's not so much that others are making me feel this way. It's my own like baggage that I'm unpacking. Um, and people are absolutely making space. Like when I make that step, no one is pushing back on me. So I am very, very privileged in that way. Um, I would say that, and I, I, I hope this doesn't come across as um, like, I'm just gonna say it and then I'll backpedal. I really don't like like the oppression Olympics. Mm. And I don't know if, you know, we may agree on that in the sense of like, I, someone else has it so much worse than me. So I can't possibly complain. There's no space for my pain or the difficulties that I go through. Um, and, and I'm not trying to imply in any way that that's where you were going with that question. But to me, that's where, like, in the sense of like, people even say like Muslims, um, Muslim women who don't wear hijab or Muslim men who don't look Muslim, <laughs> Muslim, you know, whatever that means. Um, and them being able to fly under the radar. Um, they have their own pain. They have their own code switching. And I absolutely honor and recognize that. And I, have gone to the point where I try very hard. I'm not always successful, but I try very hard to like refuse to be like, uh, in order for me to feel seen or my needs to be met, I have to like downplay or mm -hmm. undermine or somehow like, no, yours isn't as bad, mine's as bad because there's always going to be someone who has it worse, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so for me, it's just different. So I, however, I will say that I have been in situations where I do feel undermined uh, by other Muslims. I'm sure I, I am not perfect. I am sure I have hopefully unintentionally done so to other Muslims of which I am constantly trying to be more self-aware and you know be held accountable and so on. Um, for instance, just one example from many years ago um, was that I was at a conference uh, for intercultural uh, practitioners, and there was a Muslim woman who does not wear hijab, um, who's like, she wasn't leading the session, but she stood up and said something to the effect of like, hijab is not a thing, it's completely made up, and like, most, and you don't need to wear it. Like Muslim women don't need to wear it. And I'm sitting there, the only hijabi in the room, that hijabi is another word. So like hijabi, like with an I at the end, or we spell it with an I or I spell it with an I, um, is like a woman who wears hijab. Um, so I'm the only hijabi in the room and she's standing there and she's just announced this to the whole room. Like hijab is not a thing, it's made up. Like it's cultural. And I'm sitting there like, dude, like we could have this conversation. It's not about you having that opinion even. You can have that opinion, that's fine. But like, how does that make me look when already people are so critical mm. of hijab? And that's one example. I don't overly love constantly talking about hijab because it's so overly talked about anyway, but just because it's like a very strong um, identity. Actually, I've had that happen twice, once with this Muslim woman and once with a Muslim man who was leading a session at a conference who was like, hijab is not a thing. And he started it with, I'm not an Islamic scholar, but hijab is not a thing and I'm like well and again I'm the only person in hijab sitting in the room I'm like dude I'm <laughs> sitting right here how does this make me feel like mm. that you're saying this anyway so I feel like in that way we could have some solidarity amongst ourselves mm. better again I do want to say again I am sure that I have committed such you know wrong steps and whether it's to my knowledge or not it equally makes it um, harmful. And I, I fully recognize that. And I am open to being held accountable. Um, but yeah, just as a couple examples. So a very long answer to your question is that in one, on one hand, I, I, I do try and resist the oppression Olympics of like comparing who has it worse and therefore like only the worst 
experience is like valid and no one else has space to like talk about what they're going through mm -hmm. um and then also at the same time i do think that like the group that i'm talking about now i mean of course i have many identities but talking specifically about muslims i do think that there is space within the muslim community um, especially amongst non-muslims to show a little bit more solidarity and not just bring out like all of our internal conversations about hey, is this valid is that valid like okay we can have that conversation and that's completely valid but like do we need to like could we like have each other's back out here <laughs> out here yeah 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 <laughs> Oh, okay. But thank you so much for sharing that experience because I know that a lot of people, we experience that even within our own communities where there are boundaries that have to be set. There are conversations that have to be had, but, and we as individuals have to have those conversations or have to say, hey, that really was harmful what you said. Can we mm -hmm. talk about this off, off on the side? And this is how you can prevent harm further on. Speaking of harm, I know that you said before you were a people pleaser, which kind of is its own form of self-harm what caused yeah. you or what was the the last straw for you to say okay i really need to stop this um related to being muslim people pleasing. oh people pleasing specifically and, and being okay so the people pleasing um as cliche as it may be, every single person who lived through 2020, 2021 plus, let's see how long this goes, but 2020 and 2021 for now, um, have, this is how my life was. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened. So for me, my, and then COVID happened was um, in 2020 um, was incredibly, incredibly difficult for me with probably the vast majority of people on earth uh, as I'm like mental health wise. Um, I was driven into a place where a corner, I felt like where if I didn't start saying no and setting boundaries, I would literally like die. Um, I had to just not, I needed to stop caring about what other people thought of me. I had to stop caring about like people expecting certain things of me and not being able to do it and then being berated in some form or another for not being able to do certain things. Um, and yeah, so like literally having to just be like, I just cannot care. I cannot care what other people think of me. Um, and it is still incredibly uncomfortable. Um, at least I'm, I'm much better at identifying, oh, okay, this anxiety, like this welling up of like, oh my gosh, I am so nervous. I can't handle this. I need to, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've had this conversation. I imagine you have, but like the flight, uh, the fight, flight, freeze, but fawn reaction, right? So people pleasing being the fawn reaction. So for me going into like, oh my gosh, you have to like make it better and soften it and backpedal and all of that. And just like holding myself back from doing it as uncomfortable as it still very much is. Um, yeah. So what really finally pushed me to saying no, setting boundaries very much was COVID and being like, I cannot care anymore because I'm just not able to, I will die if I don't stop caring. Um, yeah. As far as like the Muslim thing, um, what would be like the push? Like, what was the tipping point? Um, I think the tipping point was realizing. So I want to formally apologize on camera to every single person who knew me in grad school and under and undergrad as well. Like anyone who knew me in college days, like, please, I am so sorry. I was really, really obnoxious, like really, really talkative. I had to be the first person to speak. I had to like have the most brilliant thing to say, right? And just like really pushing to be very outgoing. And I realized now a number of years ago, I don't even know how long that I was doing it because I felt a burden to be a public relations manager for my religion. And on the same on the same side, like I needed to break the oppressed, quiet Muslim woman stereotype. And my by me being like the most vocal mm -hmm. and like having the most amazing contributions to conversations, 
and you know whatever like that would prove that I wasn't and not so much that for me again tied in with a public relations manager that me and then by extension other Muslim women mm-hmm. are not all like these quiet oppressed women and so realizing that that's what I was carrying mm-hmm. and um you know I would I I do like um a lot of um personality assessments I take them with a grain of salt they're not going to be like 100% but I do think especially when I was first beginning like my self-awareness journey they gave me a lot of like head starts and I still go back to some of the results so taking these assessments they're like oh you're introverted and you like and I know I am introverted I know I do like being alone in the sense of introverted not quiet shy the way most people use introverted which annoys me but it's how where do you get and expend energy right so for me like, I love being with people. I love talking like this podcast is super fun and talking to you, Katrina is super fun, but afterwards I'm going to need to go rest now. Right. And like not talk to anyone. Right. So that's how I like recharge versus an extrovert for them being alone. They can enjoy reading by themselves. They can enjoy, you know, a lone car drive with just music by themselves, but that's using their energy versus being like at a gathering with a bunch of people would be like charging their battery. So that's how I use introvert extrovert. So these self-assessments are telling me, oh, you are more reflective and you are more this and more that, like basically having a quieter personality. And I'm like, but I'm not like that. Um, so which again was like just pushing me in the direction of the realization eventually being like, oh my gosh, I have like morphed my personality along with like the people pleasing from just like childhood, normal, like regular childhood growing up trauma, right? Forget the Islam and Muslims and immigrants and blah, blah, blah stuff. But just regular, you know, childhood stuff of being a people pleaser. So the people pleasing, the immigrant stuff, like, and then feeling like you need to be a public relations manager for like Muslim women specifically. Um, like you have like more me talking to myself, like I have morphed my personality from this, like maybe my default is to be on more on the quieter side. And of course, I still have things to say. I'm not like, you know. Like I, I, I will make myself heard. I come from a very long line of very talkative women on my mother's side, and I am very proud of it. Uh, so I don't have a problem speaking up. But this like obs- almost obsessive need to like be the first one to speak and constantly talking um, is something that is like a trauma response. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. That PR manager title my goodness for a lot of black women we are the pr manager for black women we don't set boundaries in workplaces because we don't mm-hmm. want to be seen as an angry black woman or we don't i'm also Samoan, so i hold another part i'm also trying to be a pr manager for that identity as well mm-hmm. and um for anybody out there who's also multicultural multi-labeled multi everything you do not have to be the pr manager for all those oh my gosh that is amazing i'm that has resonated with me to the core and Mm. now i have to go set an appointment with my therapist so thank you i know (laughs) the hard uh, thing though oh sorry no the hard thing for me which I'm very, I'm still very much sitting with. I haven't like quite made up my mind as of right who I am in 2021, mm-hmm. uh, what I want to you know do about it. But um, they're like about one percent, maybe of the U.S. I'm in the U.S., born and raised in the United States. So like the U.S. is my context, just for for context. Um, what about one percent of the uh, American population is Muslim? right and most of muslims live in major metropolitan areas so i'm in the san francisco bay area la you're going to see a lot of muslims new york you're going to see a lot of muslims washington dc you're going to see a lot of muslims on and on and on that's a lot of the united states where there are either no muslims or very 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 few um and most non-muslims in the united states if they do see a muslim it's like Oh, like if you see a hijabi, for instance, like you can identify her as a Muslim. Again, a lot, a lot of Muslim women do not wear hijab. A lot of Muslim men don't look Muslim, whatever that means, right? Um, so you might have seen a Muslim, you didn't even realize it. You see a Muslim because she wears hijab. Like, are, does that mean that like your biases are assuaged because you saw someone walking by? No, right? Like that doesn't mean you had a dialogue 
and like breaking down of boundaries and stuff. And again, like, and please don't like walk up to strange women and like, <laughs> like anyway, like I've had people, you know, say stuff and it's just like, I gotta go do my grocery shopping. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's a time and a place for it. But anyway, um, like, so just to say, if you see a Muslim, if you see a Muslim, they're walking by, that doesn't mean that you've had a chance to have a heart to heart conversation, like a change of mind, a change of hearts. Um, so most Americans will go their whole life unless they've actively gone out of their way. They will never meet a Muslim. They will only see stuff about Muslims in the news. And what, what do we think happens when we only look at the news about Muslims, right? So, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and so for me, you know, hearing attacks on Muslims, no matter what they look like or how practicing they may or may not be, or if they even, and that's the thing with Islamophobia, it's like the fear, bigotry, hatred of Muslims, but it's not just of Muslims, it's also people perceived to be Muslims. So many, for instance, sick persons who are attacked, it's because they were thought to be Muslim. And so that would be considered Islamophobia. For instance, in honor of September 11th, the first person to be killed in retaliation for September 11th was sick, was in Muslim, right? So it's very, very important to keep that in mind that it isn't just like, Muslims who are affected, it's very much people who are thought to be Muslim, but are not. Um, yeah, so, you know, I won't go down uh, that rabbit hole, but um, yeah, just for me, it's very like the struggle of, I don't necessarily want the pressure all the time, all the time. To some extent, I find it as like, I have power to influence opinions on my religion and I find that to some extent empowering, to some extent, like I'm not such a victim. I can just, I just lay back and I, you know, accept whatever happens to me. It's like, oh, these conversations, I can create change. Mm -hmm. Part of the, it is part of the reason, a huge part of the reason why I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work is because I want, and many people do that. They want to advocate for their own group while also being an ally advocate, uh, accomplice to other groups, you know, I want to make Muslims more inclusive as well. Like, so there's a lot of different reasons to it. Um, but of course, like there aren't a lot of Muslims. There are some, not a lot of Muslims in the DEI space. I want to see Muslims included in, in those conversations, and policies and so on. But um, like, how do I balance the like, I don't want to feel like I have to be a PR manager all the time to the point where, and I have, like, I feel like I have to have a smile on my face at all times outside of my home, because if someone walks by and sees me like with a straight face or, you know, frowning or whatever, like, they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, she's so angry. What is she, what is she gonna do? Ah, especially at airports. Oh my gosh, I am in such a good mood during, in airports. Like, oh, everything's amazing because, oh, I look very non, hopefully, the idea is very non-threatening in an airport when I am so happy to be there and so helpful, um, you know, when the stakes feel so high that, you know, there are attacks on mosques. Um, I think, I forget the name of the city, but there a couple of months ago was a massacre or a, a run, run in, uh, someone run, ran their car over a Muslim family, right? They're just walking on the street, just minding their own business. And someone decided, I'm going to drive my car over this family. And like two, three generations gone, right? Um, it feels like, how, how do I balance? Like, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to my friends. I don't want it to happen to anyone, any Muslim or others of other groups as well, with also not wanting to feel the pressure. You know, it's, it's hard. It's complicated. And it's hard and very complicated. And through that process, there are a lot of relationships involved. It's the relationship with our society. It's the relationship with the organizations we're a part of. It's the relationship with our country's beliefs and values that, start, that founded this country. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of relationships need to be mended and a lot of conversations need to be had, but um, we're probably not gonna be involved with those conversations. So 
I think I kind of process that in my own internal boundaries. Like, hey, are we doing this with that PR manager backpack on our back? Or are we doing this for Katrina, just for Katrina as a human mm-hmm. being, as a person? Because I cannot be holding that backpack 24-7. It is heavy as hell. Yeah. Super heavy. But one of the people that have helped me along the way and kind of taking some rocks out of that backpack and maybe putting the backpack down every now and then, maybe on Saturdays, is my therapist. Um, and I shout them out almost every episode. But do you have anybody in your corner who's been helping you kind of put the backpack down every now and then? For me, how I process and I how I cope is I don't want to think about whatever it is that I'm dealing with. So I have gone to therapists, I've gone to Muslim therapists, I've gone to non-Muslim therapists, and they can be helpful. I have found I like coaching a lot. (laughs) Um, I feel like it's, you know, a more active, I like having someone talk at me or with me a little bit more than me just talking at them and be like, help me. And they're like, oh, so difficult. Okay. So um, maybe I just haven't found the right therapist quite yet. Um, but anyway, for me, I have found, um, that my coping strategy across, no matter what kind of difficult things I'm going through in my life is I want to go do something completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something just like fun and easy. And so like, for instance, like I love K-dramas, which are Korean like television shows. I love them. They're amazing. If you haven't watched them, you totally should. Um, Honestly, I make this joke, like the Korean government needs to start sending me a, like a check like every month for like, <laughs> anyway, whatever. But, um, you know, so like for me, I'll do that. I haven't done as much since COVID because I'm like in my house all the time. So spending more time in my house on a computer is not like quite as rejuvenating, you know, rejuvenating as it used to be. Um, but so making intentional time to go out with friends mm-hmm. and like just do anything talk about anything else right um and just pretend for a little while just get a break from having to think about it Mm. that for me is incredibly incredibly therapeutic Mm. and it's cheaper (laughs) (laughs) and i love that um it's those are boundaries all i hear is boundaries just Mm. saying okay i need to do an activity that has nothing to do with my work especially the work that you're in all of this shit is combined like you're you are immersed in the work that you're in because of the identities you hold and so just being able like okay i'm going to go eat butterflies or eat ice cream because it has nothing to do with my work yeah that's so awesome but i've even set boundaries when spending time with friends like you know, I've had stuff going on in my family life that they know is going on. And so of course, like they really want to check in with me. And so I tell them, thank you so much. I, I see your intentions. I, you know, I appreciate, it. I feel the love, but for me, what would be most helpful is just to not have to think about it for a couple of hours while we're hanging out. And they're like, awesome. Great. We're going to talk about other things. And then we do, and it's awesome. And I get that break, that mental break from like having to carry around this thing that's going on in my life. Oh my gosh. Ooh, and we're talking about the news too. So even if like the news is on TV, like, okay, it changed that channel. Yeah, exactly. Watch I TV. told my family, like, could we, could you not watch this while I'm in the room? And they're like, okay. Some it's of them. So no. Oh, okay. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of them are like more re- responsive than others. And, you know, I, I, I feel like it's very, I don't want to overly generalize, but generally this sense of boundary setting and respecting boundaries i find to be more like people are more receptive who are like on millennials and younger and to older generations it can come off to some people of the older generation i would say in my realm let's say it can be you're really sensitive like really really you know, I did all this. What is your problem? So like dripping on them of, you know, we're different and I appreciate you and and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Navigating parents and elders like is its own thing. (laughs) 
in any relationship that you're a part of for a really long time, because those relationships have started since your birth, just kind of developing and growing in them and letting them know, hey, my boundaries have changed around this. I am yeah. also now able to vocalize my boundaries. So maybe mm. to have a conversation. Yeah. Ooh, tough stuff, tough stuff. But we're going to get into a little bit more tougher stuff. We're going to open it to the floor. Everybody in the room can ask questions. You can type it in the chat or come off mute to ask your questions. I will be kicking off with a question about some of the software or affirmations that you tell yourself or what are kind of some of the things that you're using currently to remind yourself, hey, we have to set boundaries on a daily basis. It's not so much affirmations I find as the feeling mm. of my boundaries being stepped on, <laughs> overstepped, reminds me, oh, hmm, okay, that needs more attention. Mm. Um, like I mentioned, I, I'm at the point where I'm at the self-awareness phase. Like I, you know, maybe not mastered is a strong word, but <laughs> like I have a much better sense of, oh, this feeling of discomfort, of anxiety, of stress, of whatever it is, of all of it, is my boundaries are being crossed. Mm. And just like to the point of being able to do something about it, I'm still very uncomfortable about doing anything about it, but I do do it. And I am very proud of myself for that. Um, yeah, but usually um, I, I really would love to do uh, daily affirmations. I'm still a little caught up. I'm like, oh, I feel so silly doing it. I know it's really like powerful. A lot of people have talked about how powerful it is. I do believe it. I know I'm just in my own way. I, I did see um, a very cool YouTube video a while ago that mentioned like instead of having um, a vision board, having like note cards where you write out like affirmations or something, I actually created mine. Where are they? Are they right here? So I have like this, these note cards of like all these reminders to myself of like different things in my life. Don't ask me if I've used them, <laughs> but I have them. Um, and I like that. And the way the person in the YouTube video uh, mentioned it was like, instead of having a vision board where it's very visible and this is very personal stuff, right? Um, and anyone could like walk into your office or walk into your room and like read it and you don't want them like it's very private you don't want to do that you just carry it around in your bag or have it on your desk right next to you and then you can read through them and have those affirmations so I would that would be a very good thing to do and we'll see if I ever do that <laughs> and I love that that is tailored to you you talk about exactly. introverts extroverts that that um vision board may be for an extroverted person mm -hmm, they, mm -hmm. they don't give a shit if people know about their goals yeah or yeah what you're about to do with their lives but for an introvert having that very close to you and um personal to you that's amazing mm -hmm. i love that like you said this generation or the upcoming generations are creating more techniques and ways mm -hmm. for us to express our emotions and to just be aware of ourselves Yay. Mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna open the chat i just want to see what people are talking about in there the humorous use of inshallah yeah. to men only god can get this task done don't expect me to live oh my <laughs> i love that okay and some um mariah said yes comparative suffering yeah mm -hmm. it's not what we're trying to do in this space or any of the work that yeah, we're yeah. doing it's it's around making sure that although we're a part of all these communities, we are individuals with individual needs and we do need mm -hmm. to be very vocal about those mm -hmm. individual needs. Cool. I do want to ask you a question about feelings. So you talked about the external messages that you receive from family members from older generations, just sound you're being really sensitive, um, gaslighting, if you will, and kind of just dismissing everything that you feel. What are your responses to people who give you those messages? So with family, it's different than obviously work or people who are friends, like blood, not blood, right? Um, I would say Islamically, um, respect for elders, respect for parents, is very, very important. 
And so what the like the boundary setting methods that are becoming popularized in non-Muslim settings as valid as they absolutely are in a non-Muslim setting, they are not quite as appropriate in either an Islamic environment or recognizing that many, but not all Muslims are from immigrant backgrounds um, in the ethnic culture as well, they are not appropriate. Um, again, with the respect for parents and elders is very, very important. Um, and so how I personally have established or I'm attempting to establish boundaries is to explain in as simply and as directly as I can, like my reasoning, I find in my situation, I personally feel that I'm held to different standards than others in my family and trying to draw comparisons um, or expressing how I feel, uh, trying to not, you know, use you statements, use I statements, you know, catch people when they're calm, uh, you know, don't embarrass anyone publicly, you know, like make sure that I am calm when I have this conversation. Um, I am very much struggling with family around boundaries um, with some family members. I wouldn't say all. Some have been very open, still kind of like, I don't quite understand what you mean by this, but I'm, I'm still, I'm thinking about it. Like I'm open. Yeah. So Alhamdulillah, like, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and at some point, again, having to be okay with someone being upset with you, like that's been a huge shift in my like people pleasing recovery journey is getting better at, I am okay that someone is upset with me and I don't need to do something, change my boundary, nullify everything that I just said in order for that person to not be angry at me anymore. I am okay with that person being angry with me. And that's just how it is. And I'm gonna go do something else now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I remember a younger version of myself all day, just like, okay, I have to fix this. Like at some point we're gonna have to like go get flowers and like da 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 And then like go there crying. And you're just changing your whole life, your whole schedule, the rest of your day to please that person when in actuality, you're trying to keep that relationship intact and so that you feel comfortable being yeah. around that person. Um, and you talked about the difference between work and family, which really reminds me of like what's, which relationships are priority in your life. So the relationships at work, if somebody touched my hair and I didn't want oh. them to, I would, imme- <laughs> I would immediately say, don't do that shit again. And if oh you do, God. we're going to have a conversation with HR because that relationship is not important to me. Like it's not a priority yeah. in my life. It's not. Yeah. But if my boundary was crossed with my family or with someone who's a part of my family, I would probably take a longer time to discuss why and where this is going. Yeah. Have you ever had the latter happen where you're just like, oh, boundary, uh, I'm not trying to educate you right now. I haven't, I've always felt like I needed to educate. Um, I would say that it is something I am thinking about, like, hmm, I don't have to do that. I don't have to educate. I could just say, no, I don't do that. And I've, in my mind, cause like, it's again, something I feel a lot of uh, stress around like, oh my God, what if, what if they say this, what am I going to say? And then I can just be like, I would be happy to point you in the direction of the nearest mosque. You can go and talk to the scholar in that mosque. I'm sure they will be very happy to explain to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, here's a website, go read about it. Um, but yeah, I've, I have always felt the need to like to educate, I will say something that I have noticed for a long time. So when I was, so remember, even though I wasn't practicing growing up, I did physically wear hijab, like the like piece of fabric on my head. And um, so I got a lot of questions about hijab when I was 10, 
to 19. But then like, as an adult, I never get asked. Mm. And so part of me is like, why? Mm. Like, am I scary because I'm an adult? And I'm, I'm five feet, nine inches tall. So for some people that might be considered tall. So maybe it's like, oh, this tall, scary Muslim woman, like who's an adult, I don't want to like ask. And, but then I'm like, if that is true, then it's kind of problematic that you feel comfortable then asking like a middle schooler (laughs) when you're not going to ask an adult. Um, But maybe it's because people are more aware of cultural sensitivity and they have maybe as an American culture in general, no matter what your ethnic racial background is, religious background, like we are more competent and know maybe to have a relationship with someone before you ask invasive. I don't know, maybe, um, but I have noticed that I don't get asked as much, not nearly as much. I would have complete strangers stop when I was younger, complete strangers stop and ask me like, why do you wear that? Like, what is that? Um, whereas I don't get that now. Maybe, maybe, maybe with like a coworker who I've worked with for a while and it like has come up in the conversation and then they see it as like, oh, okay, she brought it up so I can ask, mm-hmm. which I appreciate like that they, I, I take it as a sign of respect that they're not gonna just, you know, wanna talk about it even though I may have felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely still have a lot of that PR manager backpack on that I'm like, maybe I should put that down every once in a while. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's hard to put it down. One of the things that has really helped me put down my backpack every now and then is my resources page, just being able to like mm. people resources I yeah. have vetted and I have, <laughs> and, and I know all about and yeah. I know that they're going to help you with the, but for, to be that PR manager for every single person that wants to know about my culture, my background, my identities, just especially because we hold multiple identities. What if they keep asking questions? No, you're good. You yeah. can go visit my resources page. Yeah. <laughs> for me as a sign, like, what is the, there's also a distinction for me. If like, are you just like randomly curious mm-hmm. or are you actually sincerely wanting to know and build a relationship or be more culturally sensitive or competent for the person the second person i am much more willing depending on like also like how hard of a day i've had (laughs) but like i am much more willing to go further for someone who shows sincere genuine interest even if they like say something a little off but they but they clearly are well-intentioned they want to learn and you know be sensitive versus someone who's just like <laughs> like randomly curious mm. someone anyone who's like multi-ethnic multiracial, biracial whatever you want to like there's various words for like similar mm-hmm. identities i identify as multi-ethnic not necessarily multiracial. um but um i've i have had someone yell across a parking lot at me what are you <laughs> you're good my resources like across the parking lot oh yeah Uh, oh you have a question in chat do you feel the pressure of representing both types of women that you're a part of if i've heard that the greatest aspect of white privilege is the freedom to exist as an individual rather than unwilling than an unwilling representative of an entire group do you feel the pressure of representing both of, I guess, both your ethnicities? Is that um, a private comment? It is not. It is in the chat. Okay. Yeah. And I'll rephrase that question. Yeah, just please. Kind of, um, do you ever feel because you have that PR backpack? Are you wearing two backpacks? Or are you wearing one backpack? I would say like one and a third. Okay. Um. So in. DEI social justice conversations that are about race I go into that thinking of myself as a white person and so I engage in those conversations in that way 
um, white people don't need to like be advocated for in those kind of situations. Um, however, the third of a backpack that I do carry around my multi-ethnic identity is more around Iranian Persian culture identity. I will say though, it is complicated and why it's like a smaller percentage is because um, I don't speak Farsi and I wasn't raised around Iranians or Persians almost at all. Um, it was only like kind of as a, as a part of, you know, becoming a practicing Muslim and therefore spending a lot of time with Iranian Muslims that I got to know the culture. It wasn't through being raised around my relatives or my father. Um, my father is a very, very hard worker. He works very long hours. He's in tech. So anyone in tech knows like they work absurd hours, obscene hours. Um, and so, um, and again, not having the connection to the language. So I don't identify too, too much as, you know, performing Persian, Iranian culture too much. Where I would say I will step in is when I hear very disparaging remarks about Iran. I will say I'm not here to defend the Iranian government. I do not like, I don't want to go there. And, but I will say um, that anyone, again, my context of the United States, in the United States, if you are not Persian or Iranian and understand Farsi, you have read only media through the Western US English speaking perspective which I am sure has some validity, but you have to under, like, is extremely biased by US interests in the region. And if nothing else, that makes your information very problematic, if that is your only source of information. And so for myself, like just pointing that out to complicate people's opinion and just be like, hey, maybe just like broaden the sources of information that you are getting, realize that anything that the US puts out, and I mean, my identity is tied to Iran, but you could say the same about any country that the US has like decided is our enemy or has decided is like against us. I don't wanna go too far down that way, but you know, like again, we're, you know, Katrina, you and I talked about like everything going on in Afghanistan right now is you know very timely to this conversation, which we did not plan at all, but in exactly the same way. Like I am not Afghani, so I don't feel comfortable, you know, making statements on like this is the right thing to think, and this is not the no. Go talk, like go listen, listen to Afghani people about their own country. Great, awesome. My, the only thing I would offer is that if you are only getting information from U.S. American Western perspectives, then your information is highly problematic. Mm. And that's that's what I would offer as far as like being a PR manager for the Iranian Persian side. Um, and then, yeah, and then everything else, of course, like would go back to being like a Muslim Islam PR manager. Mm. And I really appreciate you kind of bringing that to light, how we all need to be more critical of where we're getting our information from. Um, recently for me, I realized one of my resources that I kind of share with people, it's a resource on social media, was mm. ran by someone um, who was not a part of the community, but spoke for multiple communities. Mm. And so, yeah, it's so very important to be very critical of where you're getting your information mm. from. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it is time for us to wrap up. So the last question I'm going to ask you is what are the top three tips you would share for people that are part of your communities that are thinking of moving into organizations that don't have a lot of people that look like them or are part of the communities they're a part of? What would be the top three tips for them about setting boundaries in those spaces? One, <laughs> as much as you possibly can, have self-awareness of your boundaries going in 
and establish them from the very beginning, including in the interview. <laughs> um, because hopefully you get the job, right? And you know, you interview, you get the job, it's awesome, you're paying, you're getting paid super well, and everyone treats you awesome, awesome. But um, yeah, if you have that self-awareness of what your boundaries are and you are establishing them right from the get-go, it's so much easier, easier, not easy, easier <laughs> than if you are a couple months in, six months in, a year plus into your job, and then you figure out, oh, I have this boundary. And of course, this is not like possible 100%, right? So I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's possible 100%, but do that self-awareness work of what are your boundaries and get really good at identifying when your boundaries are crossed so you can identify, oh, okay, this is another boundary that I didn't realize I had, and now I know that. So that going in, and this again can be work, it can be home life as well. You can implement this. So, okay, going forward, when I make a new friend, when I make a new, like when I start a new job, I can implement this from the very beginning. And then you don't have to like re-educate people about how to show you respect and to respect your boundaries. Um, for me, as far as identities around uh, being Muslim, in the workplace, in the non-Muslim workplace. Because um, I have worked at an organization that was like founded and run by Muslims. So that's like a completely different uh, scenario. Um, for me, myself, I see it as like picking my battles. Mm. What is it that I absolutely have to have? This is a deal breaker. And what is like, how, how difficult is it going to be to get this accommodation or understanding or empathy or whatever versus things that are nice to have I do feel and you know for organizations that are invested and are really there to be authentic in diversity equity inclusion and like belonging in their organizations then this would be key for them if you're not interested in DEI at all then great you don't care so okay cool um, but if you do care about you know diversity equity inclusion and belonging um, you know, making like space, their psychological safety for those nice to have for different groups. Um, you know, being able, like my uh, current job, I asked and was very readily given permission to go to Friday prayers. So for, again, a tiny segment of Islam 101. Muslims uh, like holy day of the week, similar to like Christians have Sunday, uh, Muslims have Fridays. So there's a congregational prayer in the middle of the day for the afternoon prayers um, on Friday afternoons. And so I got permission to go twice a month to that. And that is so, 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 so meaningful to me. If you're able to do that, there's going to be a much greater sense of inclusion and equity and belonging um, amongst your Muslim employees. I'm talking to obviously to non-Muslim employers at this point. Um, um, Another, so, and again, the question is, how can Muslims feel comfortable setting boundaries in non-Muslim working environments? Pick your battles, know your boundaries ahead of time. Um, and if I'm talking to other Muslims, uh, leaving your trust with Allah, ultimately. Everything is in his hands. And if you put your trust in him, everything will come out as it should. That does not mean it will be comfortable. <laughs> does not mean it will be easy. And I'm very much directing this reminder to myself. <laughs> but as Muslims, you know, practicing Islam, you do the best you can, you set the best intentions, but ultimately you leave the results. Inshallah, like this is a very nice closing. Inshallah, like if God wills, whatever it is, goodness will come a bit, whether that goodness is difficult or trying or very, very fun and enjoyable as well. No, oh, I love that. I love it so much. These are really good ones, especially the pick your battles part. Man, when I first started learning about boundaries, I mean, it was like, oh, cool. You get to fight everybody, every single thing. Oh. <laughs> you cannot that fight everybody. to burnout. <laughs> you cannot fight everybody and you right. need to decide, okay, is this a relationship? I want to pursue if so we can have a whole conversation a whole tea 
cupcakes, all of the things. If it's not, then boom, that, that's it. This is all I can do for it. Um, well, and there is a very interesting conversation around, oh, we want everyone to bring their full authentic selves mm -hmm. to work and people pushing back. I'm like, oh, I don't think you do. I don't think you do want me to do that. Um, and I'm okay with that. Be anyway, so that's a whole conversation <laughs> that I find very, very interesting. Um, and just my sense of it as of right now, maybe I am okay not bringing 100% of my authentic self to work. Um, maybe I don't want to show, like maybe I want some privacy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's a decision that everyone's going to have yeah. to make. And you set those boundaries around them. But are there any last minute sprinkles you'd like to share with the audience before we get out of here? Thank you so much for your attention, for your time, for you know everything. Thank you, Katrina, so much for inviting me. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to be with you on Absolutely Not. Um, I would just say I wish everyone well in this September 2021 and in the future. We are carrying a lot of trauma from the last year and a half plus whatever else has gone on in your life before that. Um, this has been a time for me of learning self-compassion because I had to. Mm -hmm. And so as much as possible, internalize self-compassion and know that you are working so, so hard. And just because you're working hard doesn't mean that it will be easy. Things can still be difficult even though you're trying really hard. And that doesn't mean that you're not trying really hard. So yeah, that's something that I've learned. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much self-awareness, so much self-compassion. That's what we want to leave you with today. Once again, this was absolutely not my special guest today. Today, excuse me, was Rahime. And you can find her information in the show notes when this is published. But until next time, keep setting those boundaries and saying absolutely not to anything unaligned. See you next time. Absolutely not. Thank you so much for listening to Absolutely Not. Your support means the world to me. You can always further support the show by leaving a review or visiting the Support the Mission page on my website, www.katrinastroll.com. My website is also where you can register for upcoming live episodes, watch amazing past episodes of Absolutely Not, and buy Absolutely Not merch. Yay! Until next time, keep setting those boundaries and saying absolutely not to anything unaligned. See you next time.